Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, growing up in the 1970s in Marysville, Michigan, I used to watch the lake freighters travel up and down the St. Clair River all the time. And I remember one of the most fascinating ships to spot was the Edmund Fitzgerald at over a thousand feet in length. And it was immortalized by the song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, written by Gordon Lightfoot after it encountered a severe Lake Superior winter storm in November of 1975. Now, my own personal experience of how fast a storm can roll in from Lake Superior occurred Mother's Day in 1973. Our family drove almost 12 hours up to a property we had on Lake Bailey in the Keweenaw Peninsula in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It was spring, the weather was beautiful. We woke up the next morning, we had two feet of snow (laughs) and bitter cold, and nobody held cold weather clothing. We were wearing shorts, t-shirts, and (laughs) flip-flops. Needless to say, we loaded up the car and headed back home. But I'm saying all this because our guest today has written a book titled Shipwrecked and Rescued Cars and Crew. And it's about a famous event in Michigan history, a story of another shipping disaster on Lake Superior. And just so you know, there's been over 10,000 shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, 500 or more just in Lake Superior alone. And many of them still remain undiscovered due to the depth of the lake. But Shipwrecked and Rescued Cars and Crew is about a wreck that had a basically good ending. A rescue, not just a rescue of the crew, but also a special cargo, a tragedy that turned to victory, but it was not an easy feat to achieve. Now, Larry Jorgensen has been fascinated by the wreck of the ship called the City of Bangor. This was not just a shipwreck. This was a double rescue success. What's a double rescue success? Well, instead of me telling you all about it, let's welcome to the program historian and author Larry Jorgensen. Larry, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And it's it's certainly a story that's gotten my attention. And, you know, it it is kind of famous in Michigan history, mm-hmm. yeah. but ironically, it, it hasn't received much attention. And until we did the book, no one has really put the complete story together. There's Amen. been pictures and tidbits of, well, the, the boat was crashed under the reef, et cetera. Yeah. But you know, the neat thing is, of all the shipwrecks, and you mentioned them in the Great Lakes, there's never been one quite like the city of yeah. Bangor. You know, the, the, the ship was headed from uh, Detroit to Duluth. It was one of 11 ships that had been converted as car carriers. The, the, originally, it was an ore carrier and uh, bought by the Nicholson Transport Company out of Detroit, and their mission was to transport cars to various ports along the Great Lakes. Um, so this this particular, the city of Bangor, 
had a load of brand new Chryslers, 1926 Chryslers on board. <laughs> and uh, it was headed to Duluth, Minnesota. Well, they first, you know, you talk about the Edmund Fitzgerald. Well, he got into Lake Superior and he got into some pretty bad weather. And it, just like the Edmund Fitzgerald, he headed out for Whitefish Bay and he made it. He spent the night in Whitefish Bay and said, well, it looks like things are clearing up. We're going to head off to Duluth. He got into Lake Superior about 12 hours later, further into Lake Superior. And the captain described the storm as the most fierce storm he had ever encountered. Mm. It literally, you know, the because the boat had been converted to a car carrier, uh, it, it rode higher in the water. Yeah. So consequently, a fierce storm would just rock and roll that boat. And that's what happened. Uh, they lost uh, complete control, lost the rudder, mm. and the storm ultimately threw the boat onto a reef off of Copper Harbor, the mm. very northern tip, as you know. Very tip. Yeah. And the boat was badly slashed. Uh, basically, it was trash. It was never would never see water again mm. except what was going except in. on the inside <laughs> yeah right um so the crew pretty desperate what do we do you know they are able to chop loose a lifeboat mm. and they use the lifeboat back and forth uh to get everybody on shore but now we're we're talking about Copper Harbor, yeah. you know, the Keweenaw Peninsula yeah. in 1925, 26. It's pretty desolate, and it's yeah. already covered with deep, deep snow. Yeah, think well, about for for people that don't know, think about being stranded in the middle of Alaska in the winter time. That's about it. You know, this past winter they got 304 inches up there. Yeah, so they do no snow. Yeah. Well, what adds to the problem, two things. First of all, a lot of the crewmen are from Detroit and they're wearing, you talk about your flip flop. <laughs> they, they were one step ahead. They had loafers on. You Ten, know? Yeah, tennis so shoes. Some of them yeah. were ill prepared <laughs> for what the challenge they were about to meet. But the bigger problem, Captain Mackin had thought that he had further had gone further, he had gone past Copper Harbor, that he was west of Copper Harbor. He thought he saw Brockway Mountain. Well, the fact is they were still east of Copper Harbor. So the, the crewmen finally get on shore. They decide, well, we, we need to find our way to Copper Harbor. They start walking east. They're already east of Copper Harbor. Yeah. So now they are badly lost. And they finally realize that that's not the, the way to go. And they get turned around. But they literally spend two days trying to work their way through deep snow, cold weather, and, yeah. and poorly dressed for the particular yeah. challenge. Now let, me, let me stop you right there, because this wreck occurred before there was truly any significant use of radio, radar, or anything like that that we take for granted today, correct? Right. No one knew what, what had happened yeah. to him. Yep. And, and uh, we were talking about walking through deep snow. Uh, I was up in Alaska uh, and when I was in the military. And instead of taking the road around to where you know, it was about a six, seven mile trip on the road, I could see where we needed to go just half a mile away straight across this open field. So me and 
my battle buddy, we decided we're just going to go ahead and walk straight across the field. Right. And we got about a hundred yards in and we're suddenly in chest deep snow. Yeah. You know, and it took us three hours to go half a mile and it would only taken us maybe an hour to walk the road <laughs> you know, to go all the way around. So well, I understand deep snow. There is no, you, you take a step and you sink, you take a step and you sink. And I'm talking sink between your waist and your chest where you got to crawl right. back out. I mean, it yeah. is deep folks. What he's talking about, they walk through some deep snow. Yeah, they did. And, and um, it was only because of another shipwreck that they actually were rescued. Uh, there was a ship that, that went aground um, on the east side of, uh, of the peninsula, and it, it wasn't badly damaged or anything. It was just the ground. Two of their crewmen got off, and they walked about six miles to finally find a telephone in a little community of gay, and they were able to call the rescue uh, Coast Guard rescue uh, station in Eagle Harbor. Okay. Yeah. So the guys at Eagle Harbor, you know, they, they launch the rescue boat and they take off to, to rescue these guys from the other boat, the Matham. Uh, they went right by the rescue crew goes right by the banger. Couldn't even see it. The storm was so bad. Oh, wow. They, they rescue the crew from the Matham and they're going to take them to Copper Harbor on the way back. The captain spots the banger. So he, he, he maneuvers in that way. Well, there's nobody there, obviously. So he says, well, we continue on. He gets a little bit further down the shoreline, and there's the crew wallowing through deep snow near mm-hmm. a little bay, and he sees them. And they're really, by now, it's two days into this. They're desperate. Yeah. So the captain pulls into their direction, and yells to them, build a fire. So I know where you're at. I'll take this crew to Copper Harbor. I'll come back and get you, mm-hmm. which he did. So he's got 20 crewmen from uh, the first ship in Copper Harbor. And now he's got another 26 from the banger. Probably yeah. It probably tripled the population of Copper <laughs> Harbor at that moment. <laughs> so the problem is, what do we do with them? Yeah. Uh, the first crew, they're not badly uh, injured or anything. So they, they are taken over to Eagle Harbor to the Coast Guard station. But the, the crew from the Banger is desperate. I mean, they are really hurting. And one of the families in Copper Harbor agrees, we'll take them into our home. Well, fortunately, the, the husband, the father at the home, had slaughtered two pigs just before snow setting. <laughs> so they had lots of pork, you know, yeah. and, uh, and he had a well-producing cow, you know, so that he and his wife took him in, they got him into the house. The, the two sons actually guided them through the snow uh, to get him in the house. They just collapsed around the stove and started to really melt, you know, yeah. um, it is it safe, but they were desperate. Some of them were really bad shape. Um, so it turns out the the captain of the Coast Guard crew is able to contact the hospital in Lorium, the Calumet Lorium area, and gets a hold of a doctor and says, We need help. We we have some 
badly, uh, some people in bad condition up here. It just so happened that the Chrysler dealer in Lorium had been experimenting with a snow vehicle. And, you know, skis on the front, tracks tracks on the back, didn't know if it would work or not. Yeah. Got the doctor and went through 40 miles of snow, got up to Copper Harbor, was able to take care of the ones that needed immediate attention and take the ones that were badly injured to the hospital. Amen. Amen. So, so this guy basically invented the snowmobile. Well, yeah, kind of. It wasn't like the one that uh, was invented in Wisconsin, but it was it was certainly one of the first snowmobiles or snow vehicles. Amen. And Amen. Um, it was used to take some of the others back. The ones that weren't as badly hurt uh, were taken by sleigh to the hospital in Lorium. Some of them stayed there for, for quite a long time. Little by little, as they improved, they were released and found their way home. But there were four of them that stayed there for quite a while. And the story I hear unverified is that uh, at least a couple of them thought their nurses were pretty good and decided to, to stay <laughs> and married a couple of nurses. Amen. Could be, you know. Hey, uh, amen. So anyhow, we finally, you know, get all the crew saved. Some of them headed home and so forth. Um, one of the unique things in the book, and I was so proud to get it, there is a copy of a Christmas card. The Christmas card was sent by the first mate of the banger to the family that rescued them. And, and I've been able to get it from the, the daughter, the granddaughter of that family, reproduce it in the book. And it just, it brings you to tears when you read it because mm -hmm. he, he is so appreciative of having his whole crew saved. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, we get the crew taken care of. Now what are we gonna do about the cars? You know, yeah. um, Walter Chrysler decides the cars are there even if the boat has been trashed. I'd really like to get my cars back. <laughs> so, so How many cars were there? Uh, originally, there were 240. There were 13 that went overboard when the storm hit. Okay. But the rest of them were still on board. And uh, the problem is, how do we get them off of the reef? How do we get them, you know, saved? Well, So Walter, basically, once, once the crew was saved, then the second part of the rescue Came well, and that was rescuing that cargo. Rescuing the cars. 200 and some cars. That's that, you know, back in that day, that was a pretty good chunk of money. It was, it was absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, get them back. And in those days, you could, you know, polish them up a little bit and put them back for sale. Mm -hmm. So Walter hired a um, salvage crew out of Duluth. And he said, I'll pay you $140 a car. Oh, wow. You know, so the first thing they did is they, they put a, a security shack out there to watch the, what was left of the boat. And they waited until January. So we, we waited three months for the ice to get solid enough around the reef that the cars could be driven onto the ice off of the boat. They, and you'll see in the book, there's a picture of a, a ramp that was built up to the 
to the boat and, and the cars are coming off of the boat. The, the cars are at the, the upper deck and also there's a lower deck that is accessed uh, to bring the cars up mm -hmm. and to get them off. Mm -hmm. So they finally get them all off the boat. They get them on shore, but now what? You know, at first they tried to build a road to Copper Harbor. They got about two miles, kind of like your road, you know. They got about two miles into that, and that was going nowhere. Yeah. Then they determined that, you know, the ice was solid enough we could drive along the shoreline. Mm. So little by little, they start driving the cars to Copper Harbor. Well, some of the cars either had malfunctioning or no batteries. So the challenge was when you get the cars to Copper Harbor, take the good batteries back to the cars that needed batteries. <laughs> so finally they get all 200 and some cars into Copper Harbor. And the, the photos in the book that show the cars at Copper Harbor all lined up, 200 and some cars, show them uh, traveling along the shore, the, the famous Copper Harbor Lighthouse in the background, amazing photos. And ironically, the way we got those, the captain of the Coast Guard rescue boat was also an amateur photographer. Mm -hmm. So he had access, knew where things were, and he took a lot of pictures, and we got some of them. But so anyhow, they get the cars now. And again, we're talking Copper Harbor, January 1926. They get them on the Copper Harbor. Well, now what are you going to do with them? Right? The road from Copper Harbor to Calumet, which about 40 miles, is not plowed in 1926. Right, right. So you have the same snow problem that the crew had. They took the Highway Commission's from the two counties up there uh, and started working on that road. It took them three weeks. They had to bring in a special snowplow from Minnesota to finish the job. They <laughs> finally got the road open from Copper Harbor to Calumet, Michigan, about 40 miles. The idea, get the cars to Calumet, put them on a train, send them back to Chrysler. So that was the problem, the, the theory, and the uh, salvage company said, we'll pay $5 per person to drive the car from Copper Harbor to Calumet. There were a lot of uh, high school students that missed class that day to pick up an extra five, you know. Hey, five dollars back then, that you you might as well tell them five hundred dollars today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, mysteriously. Not all of the cars made it to Calumet. And that's where we get into another story. <laughs> uh, and the, of course, the rumors up there are there were, oh, there were a lot of cars, you know, are, are, were owned by. But we found one that for sure stayed in the Keweenaw. And the car was owned by the same family for 69 years, mm. handed down from one to another. The car finally was driven 200,000 miles. I hope I can get that oh, on man. my board. And that car today, the next time you get up there, um, that car today is in the museum at the Eagle Harbor Lighthouse. Amen. And 
and they'll show you an ax mark on that car where the ice was shipped away to get it off of the boat. <laughs> so so we, now we have the story of the car that stayed. Also, there were six, in addition to the Chryslers, there were six whippets. You know, remember a whippet? That was made in Toledo, Ohio by the Willis Company, okay, which yeah. after three years of making whippets, found out they could make more money by selling Jeeps to the government, okay? <laughs> so they converted their production. Nevertheless, there were six whippets on that load. They had okay. somehow gotten from Toledo to Detroit to be loaded. Um, obviously, Walter didn't want to pay to bring whippets back. And we were able to track at least two of them. There are, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a picture in the book of one of the whippets underneath a falling down shed and the story of how it got there. There is also, we interviewed a lady in Copper Harbor, a historian, and she's in the historical society and so forth. She related to me that back many, many decades ago, she bought a whippet that was in an estate sale in Lorium. So we know where two of them went. Probably four others went to the junkyard eventually. Eventually, but, yeah. But they stayed, and they're, they're, that may be part of the confusion where people say, well, there were a lot of Chryslers that stayed. Well, maybe they were really whippets. They looked a lot alike, you know. <laughs> um, so we've got that tale. But then we still have what's left of a ship on a reef. Yeah. So what, what happens next? Well, it sat there for 18 years. Really? Wow. And what happened? World War II. We need steel. Mm. So a new salvage company gets the job. They go out there and they proceed to salvage the steel. And it's a project. They get they get it, get it down to the waterline. They actually get it, get it cut up somewhat below the waterline. And they, they salvage probably 80% or more of what wow. is left of the ship. Mm -hmm. Then we have the pirate salvage operation. Number two, there's a there's a couple loggers in the woods cutting down trees, you know, and they say, you know, we could make a lot more money if we could go out and get what's left of that ship than we can cutting down trees. Yeah. And they create the strangest vehicle. They take a, an old truck, big tires on it and sort of a crane on the back like you might see on the back of a tow truck and they get out to the site with this truck and they proceed to salvage what's left of the seal from the hangar so they make a few dollars in the project too amen to this day there is still occasionally a piece of the banger that is either found by a diver or somehow gets washed ashore, you know, the sand is washed away or whatever. And there are some pieces at that same museum um, in, in Eagle Harbor of, mm -hmm. of the banger. So it, it's, a, it's an amazing story. You know, we say, and you've, you've, I'm sure you've heard it and used it, it takes a village. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, That's well, right. in this case, it took a peninsula. It took the Keweenaw. There were so many people involved. And the fact that the story was almost semi-hidden 
is amazing to me. And and the pieces, you know, all these pieces in all these directions of people involved and how the crew was was saved and, you know, what happened to the car and the one that ran to it, all these pieces to this story had never before been gathered together. Oh, wow. And we were able to do it with the book. And and I truly became addicted to the story. (laughs) I I was up there uh, a couple of summers ago. Oh, yeah? Okay. And I picked up a little pamphlet. And there was like a page and a half in there about this shipwreck with cars. And I thought, that's an amazing story. <laughs> so I I started to look, you know, it's the old news dog in me. I started to do a little research. The more I got into it, the more roads it took me down. And uh, it ended up being the book it is. And it, and it you know, it's received great response up there. People are, are just, yeah. you know, they're happy to finally have the whole story. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, Amen. Well, you spent so much time up there. I have to ask you, do you speak Upernese? <laughs> well, I try to, eh, you know. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> For yeah. those that don't understand, Upernese is basically the dialect, accent, or whatever you want to call it in northern Michiganders. It, it sounds something like this, like, yeah, you, you you don't like this when you live there, eh? Yeah. <laughs> you got it, Don. You've spent some time. Well, of course, of course uh, I don't know if uh, your listeners realize that there, in fact, are two names for people that live in Michigan. Oh, yeah. And if you live above the bridge in Upper Michigan, you are a Uper. Yep. And then the question is, well, what if you live below the bridge? You're a troll. You're a troll. <laughs> <laughs> You're a troll because you live lower the, under the bridge. The Mac, the refer, bridge. of course, the Mackinac Bridge. Yeah. yeah. Or the Flatlander. Way, you know. <laughs> we're proud that there are a couple of bookstores out on the Mackinac Island that are selling the mm. book for us, amongst oh, others. You know, so it's, it's been well received, and, and we're glad we did it. Yeah, amen. I I could talk about the UP for hours. For those that don't, the UP means Upper Peninsula in Michigan. But uh, Larry, this has been awesome. I truly appreciate appreciate you sharing this story with us. How can someone obtain a copy of Shipwrecked and Rescued Cars and Crew? Is it on Amazon? Well, it will be. And right now, the the easiest way is just go. We have a special website for the book. It's okay. simply shipwreckedandrescued.com. Okay. And if, if you go there and order, if you want, I'll even scribble my name in there for you. <laughs> and a special message if you want, you know. Amen. It's, well, it, it's, be been, it's been a lot of fun. And, and if you get up, in fact, next weekend, we are going to be in Marquette mm-hmm. uh, next Saturday. The uh, uh, museum at the Lighthouse there is having an event. We'll be there. We're going to be all over the UP until it starts to snow, and then we're headed back to Louisiana. Yeah, amen, amen. Where where are you going to Louisiana? We uh, are in central Louisiana, southeast of Alexandria. We've got a, a, a place on Spring Bayou, um, pretty little little getaway out of Bayou, and you know our only interference is an occasional alligator, but they're friendly. <laughs> Yep, that's right. Especially if you feed them. So. That's right. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. So you're a Yankee then? So. Yeah. Well, you know, you know the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee. 
Well, the Yankee is north of uh, of uh, Lake Charles, and Bama Yankee is north of Louisiana, right? Well, a, a, a Yankee is someone from up north. Yeah. A damn Yankee, and that's what I am, is someone from up north who didn't go home. <laughs> Amen. 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 Yeah. The, the state bird of Louisiana is the mosquito. And he's kept aloft by the humidity. That's right. <laughs> As he dodges the love bugs. Yeah. People, people have no clue what we're talking well, about. <laughs> oh, love, bug, love bug season. Get ready. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Amen. Well, Larry, it's been a joy talking with you. Folks, you need to get this book. I just the the history. If you're into history, you need to get this book because this talks about one of the, like I said, up in Michigan, people heard about this as far as the the wreck with all the cars and all that, but never the detail of it. And Larry has done the grunt work and put it all in one book. Folks, if you're from Michigan, you need to get in touch with Larry at shipwreckedandrescue.com and order your book today. And if you're into history, you just need to get this as well. And if you request real nice, Larry will probably even autograph it for you. Amen. Larry, I appreciate your time coming on the program, sharing with us. And I, I just can't express that enough. I do appreciate it. Well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity. And as you can tell, I like to talk about the story. Amen. Amen. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. For Larry Jorgensen and myself, this past about reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org.
Join the Faith Casters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faith Casters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faith caster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.